everybody. I have a question for you. What is the most afraid you've ever been in your life? The moment in your life where you've had to deal with the most fear. And we've all experienced fear differently. We all define fear differently. So for you personally, when in your life were you the most afraid? And before I tell you, for me, what that moment was, for me, what that like one jarring moment of pure fear and fright was, I'm going to tell you some ones that don't quite meet the threshold for me, that aren't the most I've been afraid in my life. And hopefully that'll let you kind of wrap your brain around what I mean when I say literally the most you've ever been afraid. The moment in your life where you were frozen and gripped with pure fear and what that felt like and then what your actions were in that moment. So the first time in my life where I was kind of afraid, but still not the most afraid. Right out of high school. I graduated high school in 1993 in Southern California. And we lived right on the border, right on the Mexican border. It's a glorious place to grow up. If you're a kid, it's lawless. It's basically Thunderdome and it's tons of fun, especially in the 90s. One of the things, one of the benefits, one of the cool parts of growing up on a border is you get to go to Mexico a lot. At least it was when I was a kid. And we had friends and family who had who had friends and family on their own um, on the Mexican side in a little beach town called Ensenada. It's an awesome town. It's, it's south of um, Tijuana on, on the coast. South of TJ on the coast, it's beautiful. So the summer after my high school graduation, as I was getting ready to go into uh, community college in California, where I played football, I went down there with some friends, and we swam, and we drank, and we did a lot of other stuff that now I would frown upon children doing. But again, I was, in my heart, a rebel child. So what we did was we sat there, and we decided, hey, let's run into the beach and see what happens. There's like four or five of us that went to high school together. We played high school sports, high school classes, the whole thing. It was great. And you know, you see scenes in movies of friends kind of running into the ocean all carefree and they splash water on each other and the movie credits come in and then you know everything's going to be okay. So we kind of did that. We run headfirst into the ocean and start swimming all over the place. And this is, uh, it's Mexico on the coast. No bodyguards. Well, bodyguards obviously, but no lifeguards. There were no lifeguards to be had. About 10 minutes in, I realized that I can no longer feel the floor, so I've gone kind of far into the ocean, and I realized that my friends had managed to get back in. I could not. I could not get back in. I could not ride the, the tide back in because the undercurrent kept messing with me, and I kind of got stuck out there. I was stuck out there for a long time before I even realized that I was stuck out there. So then panic starts to set in because I can't get back to the, back to the coast, back to the shore, and I'm pretty far out. There's nothing underneath my feet except water, and I'm paddling out there just to kind of stay above water to figure out what I'm going to do. And every chance I get to kind of look around, a big kind of wave comes to crashing down, sends me down in the undertow. I get turned around, and then I shoot back up, and then I end up further in problems. So the thing became exponentially more of an issue. About 10 minutes into that moment, I realized that I'm probably not going to get back in. Like I'm, I'm for sure now not going to get back in. My friends are panicking. My friends' families are panicking. They're on the coast trying to figure out how to get me out. And again, there is no lifeguard. 10 to 20 minutes after that, so now I'm out there for about 40 minutes to an hour of paddling, I realize I think I'm going to drown. Like, I think now I'm going to drown out here because I have no help. There's no way for me to get out. There's no way for me to get back to the coast. And with each undertow, with each way I go under the water, I become more tired and I become further stuck. 
as a side note, I'm able to stay out there that long because I spent my whole year working out, lifting weights to go play football at a community college. So the fact that I was in shape helped me stay out there that long. So I reached a moment of clarity where I realized this is it. This is it. I'm 17 years old at the time. I'm just going to drown now. And I honestly just let go. So when I went down in the water, I just let myself stay underwater because I figured there was no way around this. I was scared. I thought for sure my life was over. And I just figured this is it. This is the end of my story. About five seconds underwater, I realized that that was incredibly stupid. And there's no way in hell I'm going to drown off the Mexican coast. I'm going to go ahead and live, right? So I pull myself out of it. I push, pull, get whatever it takes to get back out of the water. And as I do that, as I come back out, I, really, I look over and I see this old man to my right, the ocean's left, waving at me. Waving frantically at me to get my attention. And he starts pointing to his left and my right. And I can only take that to mean that he wants me to go that way. So I do what I can to start shuffling that way and swimming that way, gasping for air, flailing my arms, exhausted at this point, trying to get to where I think this old man is getting me to go. Finally, 10 to 15 minutes after that, my foot touches ground. I can now feel the ocean floor. I'm no farther in than I was before. I'm quite a bit farther out, actually, but suddenly I can feel the ocean floor. And I'm relieved now because I realize I'm not going to drown. Because of that, because of that moment where the old man kind of waved me over, I was able to kind of gather myself, gather my footing, gather my strength, and make it back into the coast. A good hour and a half after the fact. What had happened was the part of the ocean where I was, this old man, this native of the of that coast knew there was a crater on the ocean floor. That there was, it wasn't so much that I was too far out that I couldn't feel the ocean. This is where I was, it was a crater. And if I had gone to the left or to the right, you know, dozens of feet either way, I would have hit the ocean again, the floor again, and I could have easily got back in. And that's what ended up happening. But only because he saw me. I was really afraid. I was a 17-year-old kid, fresh out of high school, going into college, the world in front of me, and I was all but sure that I was going to die. I was frightened. But that's not the way, that's not the time I've been the most afraid. A few years before that, and I've told this story plenty of times, and I will tell this story quickly because I've told it plenty of times. When I was 13 to 14, somewhere around there, my mother and my father got into an argument. A really bad one, and, and worse than they usually would get into the argument. My father was a lifelong drug addict. My mother was a relatively new enabler, and the two of them just didn't match. They didn't do that well. And as far as I could tell, as far as I knew, my father had never gotten overly aggressive. He'd never been abusive in the physical sense. But that day, for some reason, he decided he was going to try his hand at hitting my mother. Obviously, I couldn't allow that. I happened to have in my possession a shotgun, a little 12-gauge shotgun that my grandparents had bought me because I used to go hunting. So this day, my parents are yelling, they're arguing. My sister tells me and yells that my dad is going to hit my mom. And I remember just really clearly thinking that is not going to happen. I went and grabbed my gun, my shotgun out of my closet, ran over to the area where my mom had this office, this work office. You know, she did a immigration paperwork, so she had a home office. And it had one of those windows, indoor windows, like the frame of a window, but didn't have a glass. It was just like a frame where a window glass should be. And she had one of those beaded entrances, the, the, the horizontal beads, like this, the entrance where you kind of move the beads to walk through, you know, you could always hear people coming and going out of her office because you could hear the beads. So I get the gun, I shuffle over and I stand on the other side, the outside of her office, but with the gun pointing through the window, right up against his head. And I had pushed it so far against his left temple that his head cocked and tilted to the right. 
I pushed so I pushed this gun so hard against this grown man's head that it tilted it. Cocked the hammer and I yelled at him, if he hits my mom, I'm gonna shoot. Now I use vulgarity, but I'm trying my hardest not to use vulgarity in these, these podcasts. So I use vulgarity. I had my father dead to rights, gun to his head, trigger black, and promised to end his life if he was gonna hit my mother. My sisters were going crazy. My mother was going crazy. My father and I made eye contact in a very quiet moment of honesty. And he knew I was going to kill him. He didn't hit her. He stopped and he left. Frightened. I was frightened. I was shook to my core. In front of all my family, I almost just quite literally rerouted our lives. Ended his. Forever changed mine. And my sisters and my mom, God knows the impact I would have had. But it didn't happen because he left. I was very, very scared. I was very out-of-body existence scared. Still not the most I've been afraid in my life. Doesn't even come close. No, my friends. The most I've ever been afraid, the most I've ever been frightened to my soul, happened about a week ago. And it was the moment my son almost choked to death. It was the moment that I had to, in some weird state of clarity, slide onto the linoleum tile to grab my son, smash him on the back, and then perform the Heimlich. I performed the Heimlich with such aggression that I lifted him off the ground. But because I thought to do it the right way, because somehow miraculously I wrapped my arms around him the right way, I didn't crack a rib, I didn't hurt him, but I did knock the food loose. And because of all of that, my son is alive. Once that was all over, once that was done, once he was in the room with my wife, cleaning up, changing clothes, kind of gathering himself. Once that scene had cleared up and, and moved on in our, the movie of our life. In that moment of solitude in the kitchen where I was regrouping, my hand was shaking and I didn't know what the hell to do now. That is when I was the most afraid I've ever been in my life. That is when I felt a sense of fear and a sense of dread that I don't think I've ever felt again. And I hope to God I've never felt before. And I hope to God I've never felt before. Anybody out there who has had their child choking, breathing, hurt in some really incredible way, in some traumatic way knows the fright that something is really wrong with your child. And you have to do something. Now, to be clear, I am not comparing this to anything that parents feel with children who are sick, with children who actually pass away. There's other situations, There is a, this is a scale of fright. And I am not comparing that moment to anything else that parents go through, that children go through, that families go through. I am just saying that in that moment, I afterwards, I have never been more frightened. I've never been more afraid than when my son is eating ground beef, starts laughing because I'm playing with him, and he laughs so hard and so violently that the food vacuums back into his throat and he suddenly can't breathe and the panic on his face it was I, he, I was looking at him he was looking at me the panic on his face of him realizing that he can't breathe and then the kind of delayed response that i realized that he can't breathe and now what the hell am i supposed to do what are we supposed to do now and for some reason somehow i was able to say in my brain to think i have to get him I have to get that food out of there. Maybe the Heimlich is probably what I need to do here. 
and I remember just sliding on the linoleum tile and in one kind of motion, I can only compare it to what you see Jet Li do in movies, like of those slow time with video games, video gamers called bullet time where everything kind of slows down. I remember sliding, holding him with the left hand and smacking him on the back with my right hand and the food, half of that food comes shooting out and him still choking and him still not being able to breathe and then wrapping my arms around his little body and pushing and pulling the Heimlich over him so aggressively that the rest of the food had no choice but to come out. And with it, everything else he had eaten that day, he proceeds to, he proceeds to throw up and cry. And all of us are in this moment of fright. My wife and I are just completely out of our minds with fear and and tears start rolling down because we we just, our son just choked. And if he had kept going, I would have had, we would have had to evolve into CPR. And that's a whole nother ball of fear. And I remember when he starts coughing, I remember telling him, keep coughing keep coughing and and he starts coughing and he's throwing up and she takes him to the room and i grab my phone and i search how to perform the heimlich on a child i, I because i wasn't sure that i'd done it right i wasn't sure if i had just gotten lucky or if i had done it right and i did at a certain age the children your children your child gets old enough to where you can perform the heimlich as opposed to laying them on your arm babies infants lay them on your arm but because i see my son as a baby because i see my four-year-old son as still as a child my first inclination was, do I lay this child on my arm? No, you do the Heimlich. From there, I just started to look more. Well, what about CPR? What do I got to do about CPR? What happens if, if this situation is? What happens in that situation? And I became, tried to realize to through education, through Google searching to calm myself and get back into a moment where I can calm down from this pinnacle of fear that I was feeling because my son was choking and because somehow I managed to do all the things you're supposed to do. And even when that's over, you still feel fear. You still feel the after effect of this, the aftershocks of this earthquake that you just had to deal with. And it doesn't help that he didn't care. He came back and he jumped on Minecraft and everything was cool. That didn't change me. My wife and I were just kind of beside ourselves with anguish over what had just happened and what we just saw. And again, I am not comparing this and I'm not saying in any way that parents who have sick children right now parents who are dealing with more with graver things than that i feel for you and i don't know how you do it and you have to be among the strongest people on the planet i'm just saying that in that moment i have never been more afraid in my life than that moment and i want to tell you guys if you don't know how to do cpr if you don't know how to do the heimlich if you don't know how to do the heimlich on yourself go look it up just google it it's on your phone bookmark it Go over it over and over again so that when that moment comes when you have to do it to God forbid your child, to someone else's child, to a friend, to a stranger, to an adult, to anybody, any human on the earth that you know suddenly needs this Heimlich maneuver that might need CPR, know how to do it ahead of time so you're not having to guess when it's happening because when it's happening, it's incredibly frightening. So this is just a quick podcast, an extra podcast that took me longer than normal podcasts do on the moment that I felt the most fear. And how maybe I hope that can help you guys, if you don't already know, to go and Google things and research, how do I do the Heimlich on a child? How do I do CPR on a child? It varies depending on age. I hope you guys are doing really well. I hope you guys are having a good time. I hope you guys are enjoying your life. And more importantly, I hope you subscribe, like, and share the podcast. If you're on iTunes, review it, rate it. It really helps. If you're on Stitch and Google Play, do that. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. And let's talk. 
I'm happy to talk to anybody on any of those social media platforms. I'm actually more likely to talk to people on those social media platforms than I am comments on articles because those are really bulky and really hard to track. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all the support. Take care.